Let's open our Bibles where Paul read earlier to Daniel, chapter 2. And we are taking a, just a week departure from Mark's gospel, even though we are going to piggyback a little bit from where last week we talked about the triumphal entry in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. We're actually going to finish that chapter this morning by looking at verse 27 because it very much ties into the study this morning. I've entitled this uh, Daniel's Ten Toes. Let's pick it up at verse 36. This is a dream, and now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of Israel dwell, or the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. But after you will rise another kingdom, it'll be inferior to yours, and then another, the third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron. The kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron, partly of clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw, iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, which will never be destroyed, and a kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that It broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Last week, in Mark, we covered, like I said earlier, what we call the triumphal entry, Mark's version of it. We spent probably a little bit more time in Luke than we did in Mark, Um, But it was, of course, the day that was foretold in Daniel 9. Remember, we went to Nehemiah chapter 2 to get the starting point, that when the command is given to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, then you start counting out those 69 weeks, or those 173,880 days, and then the Messiah is going to come. So that was Daniel 9, verses 24 and 25 and 26. Where we're at this morning, as we um, look at that, we're going to finish. There's only one more verse in Daniel 9, it's verse 27. But there's a gap between verse 26 and 27 of some 2,000 years. But it's interesting to me that it's actually going to be a part, a major part, of our our Bible study this morning. Before we come to it, uh, where we are right now, Daniel's in Babylon, what I'd like to do is establish the background for Daniel actually even being in Babylon 
And in order to um, do that, we need to turn to 2 Kings chapter 25. 2 Kings chapter 25 is the end of the period of the kings of Israel. So if you turn there, I'm only going to read three verses from here. Jeremiah had been speaking to this generation. And he was telling them that they were going to go into captivity because they had turned away from the Lord. And as a result, they were going to be in captivity for 70 years under Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Zedekiah is the last king of Israel. And if you look at verse 1, 25, it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all of his armies came against Jerusalem and camped against it. They built a siege wall against it all around. And so the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. Of all the kings of Israel, here's the last one. If you turn to verse 21, without going through the whole chapter, it simply says that the king of Babylon, that would be Nebuchadnezzar, struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. So under King Zedekiah, Jerusalem fell. And this is when they would have destroyed Solomon's beautiful temple. The city was laid in waste. And for the next 70 years, they are going to be in captivity. Now, going back to Daniel chapter 2, what we gave was, uh, the first verse we, we read was, now this is the interpretation of the dream. But what I want to do is put something up on the screen right now that will help you give a visual of actually the, the dream that um, um, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to have. So if you put the image up on the screen, please. We read in verse 1, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Now, rather than reading all this, I'm going to give a, a more of a condensed version because it's a lengthy chapter. He was troubled. Uh, this is what he saw. And up until this time, uh, we have the wise men supposedly, um, uh, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, he brings in all his wise men. He said, I had this dream, and it's really bugging me, and you need to tell me what in the world does this mean? And he said, well, you tell us the dream, and then we'll tell you what it means. And he says, not so fast, boys. You're supposed to be, um, have the ability to interpret and have the, the ability to do magic and sorcery. You tell me what I saw, and then you tell me what it means. And they shuffle around a little bit and they finally get to the point, they're saying, we can't do that, but if you just tell us what you dream, then we'll give you the interpretation. He says, you guys are just buying time. He says, I see right through where you're going. I'll tell you something and then you're gonna go and make something up. Either you tell me right now, you're all dead men, period. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, 
is different from Cyrus or Darius, who's going to be the next kingdom to come, because what he said happened. Uh, Under Darius, when Daniel was sown into the lion's den, Darius wanted to change his mind. But the laws of the Medes and the Persians didn't have as much clout as the Babylonian. He couldn't change his own edict. But if Nebuchadnezzar said it, end of discussion. And now he said, you guys are all dead men. So they began to kill the wise men in Babylon. Well, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are part of that lot. And word got out to Daniel. And he says, can I talk with the king, please? And he goes in and he says, if you'll just give me a little time, I'll have a prayer meeting with the boys. And let's see if if the God of heaven will reveal to Nebuchadnezzar the dream. Nebuchadnezzar gives him the time. He goes home. He says, boys, we need to pray or we're dead, (laughs) basically. And we're told that the Lord gave the interpretation and the vision, the same one that Nebuchadnezzar had, gave it to Daniel. And now Daniel's rejoicing in verse 19. It says, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And he said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Because you have shown to your servant Daniel um, the things that the king wants to know. So he goes in before the king. And I, and I, like, <laughs> I like this. Because um, uh, Daniel comes in, he knows he's got the answer. He says, before I tell you the answer to your dream, he says, what about these other guys, the Chaldeans, the sorcerers, the magic men? Weren't they able to do this? In case you're wondering, that was a dig. And he says, they could not do it. Matter of fact, they said only a god could do this. That was their exact words. Only a god could give this interpretation. Bingo. And he says, and before I go any farther, I don't want you to think any more than me than what I am. I had nothing to do with this. We simply got it on our knees and said, Lord, will you show us? And he showed us. So Daniel's saying, all the glory goes to God. He is going to tell you exactly what you want to know. And what, what you want to know, you'll know if it's right or wrong, because you already know what the dream is. You just don't know what, what it means. Okay, king. It says... Um, let's pick it up in verse 30. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation of the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. O king, you are watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, had legs of iron, partly of iron and partly of clay, and you were watching while a stone was struck out without hands. In other words, a stone came out of nowhere and struck the image in its feet of iron clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff uh, from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away. There was no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now we've already read the interpretation. Verse 36 is where our text is. This is the dream. Now we'll tell you what it means. So Daniel goes on to explain what we've 
already read um, what this is. And basically, um, what Daniel is showing him, he says, you're the head of gold in this image here. But he's laying out um, the next five world empires that are going to have dominion over the entire world. Uh, What I'd like to put up on the screen next to help with the dates and all this and the timing is a graph that we came up with. Uh, Babylon, their reign was about 605 B.C. under Nebuchadnezzar. Um, There were other kings after Nebuchadnezzar, like his grandson, head of gold. After Babylon, um, it was Cyrus the Great and also Darius, This would have been about 530 B.C. That would have been the chest of silver. Uh, Today, the uh, Kurds today are the Medes around Persia, Iran. Iran was named by the Nazis. It means Aryan. Isn't that interesting? And 336 B.C., we have Alexander the Great coming onto the scene. He only lived for uh, 30 or 33 years. Um, He would have been the uh, belly of bronze. He had four generals that are mentioned only by, um, not their names, but in symbolic form in Daniel. His four generals carved up the empire after his death in 323, and a series of civil wars prevailed until we have the next empire, which was Rome. Rome was about 168 BC. It was split by Diocian in 284 AD, into east and west. That's you have the two legs. Um, one was in modern-day Turkey. The other one would, would have been in Rome. Uh, so it still remains as part of the Holy Roman Empire today under the papacy, west, and the Orthodox in the east. In the late 1800s, Persia, Germany, first became known as the Iron Kingdom. And this is the one that it talks quite a little bit about and its force and its strength. Now, we have a gap um, because the Roman Empire, when it came to an end, there has not been another empire that has had world domination. It's not like it hasn't been tried. Um, Hitler tried to do it. Mussolini tried to do it along with him. And... um, Other empires have sought, but none have been able to have a world-dominating empire. But here we have uh, a future empire that's going to be a revival from the old Roman Empire, and this is where Daniel 9.27 is going to become so important. And so we have yet future, and what we should be watching and looking for as we see what's happening in our world today, is, it, is there anything out there that's pointing that we could actually be headed in this direction? Well, back in 1948, there was the Treaty of Rome. Uh, it was presented under different treaties, and it simply describes them in two places in Daniel. If you're taking notes, it's Daniel 2, where it's an image with ten toes. We have the same vision, only different characters in Daniel chapter 7, and instead of 10 toes, you have 10 horns, but it's saying the same thing. So 
Before I go any farther, I got to tell you my history with this and my um, watching it very, very closely. I have to go back to 1981. At that time, um, uh, we were all excitingly looking for the Lord. And I specifically remember the book of Daniel, the revived Roman Empire, needing 10. Well, I remember in the 70s, it was going from 7 to 8, and then it was 9 in 1980. And then the word broke that Greece was going to join the European Union on New Year's Eve 1981. Now, I get goosebumps even thinking about it because I had no doubt about it. This is it. And all I wanted to talk about was, just like the Bible said, the European Union is going to have 10 nations. Well, I was asked by the YMCA, this is 37 years ago, I was asked by the YMCA, because it was New Year's Eve, to speak to all the kids whose parents were out celebrating on New Year's Eve if I would come in and give a Bible study in the gym at the YMCA. And with what was burning in my heart, I said, oh yeah, I'll take that job. And I remember it was like yesterday. And I know that there were some of them there that got it. And I know most of them there didn't get it. And they wanted to know when they could get back to playing volleyball or whatever they were doing. But they had to listen to this young preacher back then, and I was explaining to them that this is major biblical history that's unfolding right before your eyes that we've been waiting to come to pass. And now the 10 are there, and the potential for uh, the Lord's coming is even uh, that much greater. Well, my bubble was burst in 1986 when Spain and Portugal joined the EU. And a lot of us thought, what's going on? You know, it says 10, not 12. A Couple more years go by, they add more, and all of a sudden, we're up to 28. So any idea that we had that this was it, as sure as I was back then, was completely shattered. Now, 37 years later, we will look at a major birth pain. That's what we're doing sort of a special study this morning. Or a major event, prophetically speaking, to watch for before the rapture. I'm going to put something on the a, on a screen right now. Oh, no, this is, one, this is one of the handouts that you can pick up after the study. Some of you are going to want some of the pictures we're going to show this morning. But... Over the years, and, and, um, and Googling this, let me just take a minute to explain the Western European Union's history. Um, it really didn't start in uh, the 80s. Actually, the original WEU came into being in 1954 and was responsible for the defense and security of Europe following two world wars. Germany shouldn't even be in their consideration. This is the original Cold War. And it began in 1945. Belgium, France, Germany, Greece, Italy, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, and the UK. That goes back to 45. NATO, NATO grew out of this alliance, adding Canada and the US to protect from Russia during the Cold War. Now, despite the alliance of the current 28 nations of the EU, 
The WEU remains an elite group of 10 who are the only permanent members of the EU. Most of Europe's military planning is in the hands of the WEU. This 1954 group was declared obsolete on June 30th, 2011, but was realigned the following day, July 1st, and was given special administrative powers and would then be known as, quote, the 10. Now, my point is there's always been the 10, even back to 54. Now, bringing up to current, current days, Impatient with Germany's foot-dragging on defense, French President Emmanuel Macron will christen his own ten-nation coalition next month, designed to prepare European armed forces to take action together in emergencies and to bind Britain, who opted out of the EU, but this is going to force Britain into a military cooperation, and it leaves as it leaves the EU, but they're militarily still bound to it. Okay, um, Mary, being clever as she is, as she laid this out for me, said she has this in parentheses. You can check out any time you like, but but you can never leave. <laughs> Young people, ask your parents what that means a little bit later. Macron. Emmanuel Macron, he has his own 10. They are Belgium, France, Germany, Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, and the UK. Different from the 10 that I mentioned in 1981. Now, the question is, who is this guy, Emmanuel Macron? Some of you know where I'm going with this this morning. Some of you are hearing this for the first time. Um, Let me just give you a little bit of his background. He's the president of France. As a liberal socialist, he fits a certain 21st century European mindset. The image he generates in what got him elected, because he came out of nowhere, is one of an independent free thinker who came out of nowhere, a man of the masses. In reality, he is establishment all the way. He has been groomed by powerful financiers for a long time. Now check this out. In fact, as a Bilderberger and as a Rothschild banker himself. Those are his friends. The creation of a powerful and influential few who have the goal of getting him into office to remake France financially with Europe than to follow it and to follow them into a new era. These are indeed Macron's stated goals. This was written in age of 39, he's 41 now. Uh, He has only known a borderless Europe. Remember Ben Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, bring this wall down. Well, he's grown up when there has been no wall. He's only known a Europe that's been borderless. And... So all kinds of ideas of unication uh, with or without um, Britain. Now, at this time, um, I'm going to speak a little bit about the president of uh, Germany, Merkel, who has just announced that she's going to retire. She's been the heavyweight in Europe. 
But now there's going to be a vacuum because she's, she's, she wants out. And I'll show you an interesting picture of that in just a bit. Merkel will be leaving office after her term. So this leaves France at the top of the, the EU heap leadership-wise. And it's hard to miss his first name, Emmanuel. Interesting. Which we should know at this time of year means God with us. Now Macron, and we just found this out last week, and take it with a grain of salt or take it seriously. His last name is Macron. It means Mark. Specifically, the mark above a vowel to indicate how to pronounce it long or short, but it does mean Mark. So now we have the president of France, whose name is Emmanuel, God with us, and his last name means Mark. I find that interesting. Now, as we look at um, uh, our text this morning, and before I go too far into this, I just wanted to give you a little bit of that background. Um, This morning, what we're going to do is look at Daniel's ten toes. The revived Roman Empire why the Antichrist must come out of Europe. That's Daniel 9.26, we'll be there shortly. Then what I'd like to do is give you a foreshadow from the book of Daniel of a man who committed the abomination of desolation but is not the Antichrist. We'll look at him in the book of Daniel. I also would like to give you a New Testament description of the Antichrist from Paul's perspective from 2 Thessalonians 2, then actually dare ask the question, who is this guy? And I believe that the Antichrist is alive today. Let's go to, uh, we went to Daniel 2, we've gone through that, and we've gone through the dream. I'd like you to turn to Daniel chapter 7 at this time as we address a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. Daniel chapter Seven. Draw your attention to verses 7 and 8. Okay, What we read in Daniel 2 is an image with a golden head. What we have in Daniel chapter 7 are the same symbolic nations, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, but they're depicted here as wild beasts instead of an image. But the idea is the same. Now, I want to get to past Alexander the Great in verse 6 and get into the Roman Empire. Uh, Verse 7, now after this I saw in the night vision, and behold, now this is a different vision because the dating of this in chapter 7 would have been uh, the first year of Belshazzar. So this is not Nebuchadnezzar. This is somewhere sometime later. After this I saw the night vision, and behold, four beasts, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I was considering the horns, and there was another little horn coming up from among them, who three of the first were plucked out by the roots, and there in his horn were the eyes, the eyes of a man, a mouth-speaking, pompous words. So instead of ten toes, we have ten horns. Um, the little horn here is a reference to the Antichrist. 
Let's piece this together by looking um, at verse 23 here, where it actually gives us the interpretation. Again, there was a dream. Now when you get to verse uh, 23, we have the interpretation of this fourth beast. We read, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth. It shall be different from all the other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. Now that's Rome. But now we have a gap. And we've been, I've been pointing this out almost on a weekly basis that in one um, verse you can have a, a gap of thousands of years. Now let's just use one we used last week. Uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9, prophecy of Jesus riding a donkey. Well, then you read in verse 10, the same Jesus is ruling over the entire world. And we have this example right here because now we go to the ten horns, which is yet future because Rome has not been in existence. It went out of existence, actually fell from within. And for what it's worth, I think that's what's happening to America. I think we're falling from within. Ten horns are ten kings who shall rise from this kingdom. What kingdom? The revived Roman Empire. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones, and he will subdue three kings. This is a reference to the Antichrist. His temperament, well, he will speak pompous words against the Most High shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law and then the saints will be given into his hands. Notice here it is, this is a revelation verse, for times, times, and half a times. Just stop and allow yourself for a moment to see. I usually tell people, don't even think about trying to understand the book of Revelation until you've thoroughly studied the book of Daniel. So now we have the Antichrist who's going to have complete troll for how long? Three and a half years, which is um, a good time to turn, let's put some pieces together here, turn to Daniel chapter 9 at this point and go to our last verse. We left off in verse 26 last week. And here is another example of the gap. Let's read first verse 26. It says after the 62 and 7 or after the 483 years or the 173,880 days, it says the Messiah is going to come. Let that sink in, gang. The Messiah is going to come. And he shall be cut off. Karat in the Hebrew. I'm probably butchering the Hebrew. But it means he's going to be executed. What, the Messiah is going to be executed? Yeah, but not for himself. And that's exactly the gospel right there. And the people, and this is a very important verse, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD? The Romans. Now we're making a direct correlation. The prince who is to come, future tense, is a reference to the Antichrist. Where does he come from? From the people who destroyed Jerusalem. It makes him European. There's a book out there by Joel Richards. It's called The Islamic Antichrist. I embarrassed Joseph Farah. This is not my notes, and I'm getting sidetracked here, but 
bear with me. I, don't, I love Joseph. He's a friend of mine, has been for many years. We ran into him in Caesarea Philippi. And um, Judy had never met him. So Judy, come here, I'll introduce you to Joseph Farah. And so they, we just happened to bump into each other. And so he was really glad to see me, and I was really glad to see him. He says, Dwight, I want you to meet Joe Richards. I know who he was. And uh, my expression was sort of like this. Okay? Let me explain. This is the guy who wrote the Islamic Antichrist. That was my expression. And I think he figured it out that I don't abide that the Antichrist is going to be Islamic. I believe he has to be Roman. So it got awkward. (laughs) Real quick. And I said, Joe, it was really good seeing you. God bless you. See you later. (laughs) And we sort of left it uh, like that. But this is a very important verse the people of the prince who is to come. There's a direct connection between Rome, Europe, and the future Antichrist. I'll just tell you straight out, he's not Islamic. I have a different idea who he might be. I think you know where I'm going with that. And the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of wars, desolations are determined. Now gap. Then he, well, the he is a reference to the prince who is to come, who is the Antichrist. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. How many years did God promise Israel? 490. How many of them were fulfilled that Jesus is coming? 483. Clock stopped when they rejected Jesus. When's it going to begin again? Oh, right after the rapture of the church when the two witnesses show up because God owes Israel seven more years. And there's no way that that's not going to happen. That's a good place for an amen, by the way. All right, let's read the rest of it. He makes a covenant. And let me say this, and let me repeat it a couple times this morning. No matter what implications I'm going to make towards Emmanuel Macron this morning, I'll tell you right now, nobody knows for sure until there's a man who signs a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. Another good place for an amen. So the last verse of Daniel 9, verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many, Yasser Arafat did this, by the way, when he was still alive, with Oslo. It was called the Oslo Accord. You know how long it lasted for? Seven years. How long did they keep it for? A couple days, probably, something like that. But it was supposed to be for seven years. But in the middle of the week, there's the three and a half years again. The book of Revelation is divided in half. He will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, here is um, the reason we came here, is to connect the dots between the little horn, the fact that he has to be European, and Daniel's 70th week is yet future. Go to Daniel chapter 11. There was a, one of Alexander's generals, and that, because I have so many notes here this morning, I've got to be careful for time. Uh, one of Daniel's, oh darn it, should I do it or not? Let me just see if I can find it real quick. All right, let's go back. I'm going to pretend I have enough time. <laughs> go, go back to Daniel 8. I promised you I'd give you a foreshadow of the Antichrist. So when Alexander the Great died, the empire was divided in four to his four generals. And um, 
that's verse eight is the male goat is a reference to verse Alexander grew very great and when he became strong the large horn was broken. That was Alexander. And in its place four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. Everybody knows that when Alexander died he was divided up between his four generals. Now, one of them, verse nine, and out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of hosts, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. We're talking about Jerusalem and the temple. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of the transgression of an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifice, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. All right? The man's name is Antioch Epiphanes. He comes from one of the generals, which would have been over Syria. I believe it was Seleucus. Verse 13, question. Then I heard a holy one speaking. He put a... um, uh, uh, um, an image, I think it was, of Jupiter in the Holy of Holies. And some say he, he uh, slaughtered uh, a pig on it. And the question is, well, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And they're talking about how long before we can use the temple again because it's been desecrated by this guy named Antioch Epiphanes. And the event is actually called the Abomination of Desolation. But that already happened in 164 AD. So the question is, well, how long before we can use it again? And the answer is, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Gang, this is where the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah comes from the celebration of the Maccabean revolt that cleansed the temple, and they've actually turned it into a holiday that they'll be celebrating pretty soon. It's called Hanukkah. All right, so my point here is we have a foreshadow of the real one that we just read about in Daniel 9, verse 27, who's gonna commit the same act called the abomination of desolation. I think it's, it's curious to me why the Lord gives us little tastes of yet future events like Elijah in the Old Testament not reigning for three and a half years and then him having it do it again in the book of Revelation. All right, let's go to um, Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. This now is a different person. This is not Antioch Epiphanes. This is the one that Daniel was talking about in Daniel 9, verse 27. Here he's called the willful king in verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. He shall have neither regard uh, the god of his father's nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he will magnify himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortress and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall 
honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. And thus he will act against the strongest fortress with a foreign god, and he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Interesting. At the time of the end, the king of the south will attack him. Let me just tell you what's unfolding here. This is the formation of the battles of the countries of the world coming together for the battle of Armageddon. And it shows us what the Antichrist is going to be doing when he gets word that the east are coming into the land. In the meantime, he's duking it out in the south with probably Egypt. At the time of the end, the king of the south will attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, many ships, and he will enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He will even go through the glorious land. Well, obviously, that's Israel. And many countries will be overthrown. Now, this is interesting. But these shall escape from the Antichrist's hands, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Now, think with me for a second. When Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, run. Where do they run to? Do they run to Egypt? Do they go north? No, they go to these places are all east of the Jordan. This is where Petra is. How interesting that these are the ones that will escape. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, in other words, the monetary system of the world. And over all the precious things of Egypt, Libya, Ethiopia shall follow at his heels. But news from the east, now I'm thinking of Revelation and um, the demonic frogs that go and stir up the kings of the east to bring them through the Euphrates River that's been dried up to make their way into the valley of Megiddo. So it's all coming together. Uh, The Antichrist hears news from the east, the north trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate them. And notice where he plants his tents. They'll camp their tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Gang, that's the valley of Jezreel. That's where the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. And he shall come to his end and no one will help him. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. All right, all that has been leading up to this point. Who is this guy? And um, again, let me say we won't know for sure until we see some man make a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. So what I'm going to say, I'm going to be certain implications for sure, but nothing, uh, I will not be dogmatic about any of this, but I find it sure is interesting watching it unfold. Okay, so here we go. I believe Daniel, Daniel's 10 toes is the emerging and the quickly changing European Union. For some of you who were here on Wednesday night, you got this news bite. If you haven't got it, please get it. And um, it is an article that I cannot read all of. I'm going to be selective. It's entitled, Emmanuel Macron Unveils Europeans Defense Coalition. So bear with me as I read just a little bit of this. A coalition of 10 
European military, mil- militaries ready to defend the continent's borders have been unveiled in Paris, just days after Emmanuel Macron called for a real European army. Finland has joined Germany, Belgium, Britain, Britain is major, Denmark, Estonia, the Netherlands, Spain, and Portugal in the French-led initiative, which we see members collaborate on planning on the analysis of a new military and humanitarian crisis and on eventually a military response to those in crisis. Macron pushes to bring together a core of 10 nations. Coalition of the Willing was born out of French impatience with the EU's effort at a defense uh, cooperation known as a Permanent Structure Cooperation, abbreviated PESCO, uh, says the economist. Okay, I'm going to turn the page and just read a li- little bit more from a different article that says French President Emmanuel Macron's nationalism, he says, is terrorism. And I just want you to think about our presidents. I'm not very politically minded. But if there's one thing Trump is, he's a nationalist. You can say amen to that if you want to. The one thing that... that um, Emmanuel Macron is not, he is a globalist, but he doesn't call himself a globalist, he calls himself a patriot. Patriot? Yeah, that's sort of playing with words so he don't get the title globalist, he calls himself a patriot. French President Emmanuel Macron denounced nationalism during an Amethyst Amethyst Day central uh, observance in Paris on Sunday. Patriotism, and that's what his word, is the exact opposite of nationalism. His word, for, he uses the word globalist for himself. He says nationalism is treason. Let that sit in. This is the French president. Nationalism is treason. Macron said, according to a European translator, Macron spoke in front of world leaders, including President Trump, President Vladimir Putin, and German uh, Chancellor, Angelina Merkel. If we think our interests may only come first and we don't care for others, it is a treason of our values, a betrayal of all moral values, he said. We must remember this. Macron said that the moral values of France helped them fight for the future of their country. He praises the world leaders that formed the first League of Nations after World War I. They imagined the first international cooperation, the dismantling of empires, redefining borders, and dreamed at the time of a union, a political union of Europe, Macron said. Again, I'm going to leave that with you to pick up and read both of those those articles. And now, um, I would like to be able to put up on screen, that's called Europe's Savior, and he is walking on water. That's the way they view him. Of course, the pair of high heels are sort of up, down, and sinking. So that's the the economist, and that's their view of the new Savior. Why? Because Merkel is on her way out. She's announced her retirement. I think this next picture... Uh, it's entitled Europe's New Leader. 
We'll put that one up. He's in the spotlight. Can you see who the shadowy figure is in the background? That's German's Chancellor Merkel. In other words, she's out and he's in. The last one here, I think it's more correct, is from Time Magazine, the next leader of Europe. Now I want you to look at this one very carefully because it's Time Magazine. But notice where the two M's appear above his head. So on one hand you have him walking on on one hand you have him walking on water. Okay? Savior. On the other hand, more likely if this if this is isn't the man, what you're seeing is another Antioch Epiphanes. Now I need to stop and see if you understood what I just said. If this is not who I think it is, then we have another Antioch Epiphanes. Well, who's that guy? Remember, he was the one who went in and caused the abomination of desolation in 164 A.D. But you know, if the shoe fits, gang, right? And if the times are where we are right now, here's the reality: of what's going on right now. We have troops out on the ground. I wanted to do Ezekiel 38 this morning too. And in my frustration, I just said to do it justice, I can't go there. But the stage is set like it's never been set before for the Ezekiel 38 war, which is headed up by Russia. And the force that goes along with it is Iran. We have boots on the ground right now with Russia. They're already there. What are we doing this week? We're putting sanction on their banks in Iran. That's happening as I speak. That's how quickly this is unfolding. Not all of them. Just showing that uh, we could put sanctions on you and we can make you pay. It's it's like backing a bear into a corner or a tiger or something like that. And remember the Bible said in Ezekiel 38, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and I'm going to bring you in to the land of Israel. So we don't know when that war is going to take place. All I have to say is all the, all the pieces are there. For years we said don't worry about it until Turkey would be a part of that because they always wanted to be a part of the EU and per- Turkey is clearly a part of that coalition. In the last two years they went from a friend to Israel to a dictator who now oversees it and he hates Israel. So uh, Turkey is lined up with Ezekiel 38. And um, I really do wish I had time to lay out what I wanted to, to go actually through that whole chapter. Instead, let's go to Revelation chapter 6. Fast forward to the opening of the first seal. We just read that what he wants is his own army. Emmanuel Macron wants his own army. Because of Russia, the book of Revelation is divided into three sections. Revelation 119 says, write the things that you've seen, John, that's chapter one. Write the things that are, that's chapter two and three, church age. And then John, write the things, metatonta in the Greek, chapter four and five, that are after these things. After what things? After the period of time of the church. Where is the church in chapter four and five? In heaven, singing a song that only the church can sing. 
Now we have the beginning of the seven years in chapter six, verse one. And what's the very first thing that we see? Then I, then I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, come and see. And I looked to behold a white horse and he who sat at it had a bow and a crown was given him and he went out to conquer and to conquer. This is none other than the Antichrist that um, his, his plan is to have conquest and as this unfolds, it makes its way all the way up to he has this agreement that he signs with Israel. Now how this is gonna, un- we know how it's gonna end. We just don't know right now how all the pieces are gonna come together. Possible scenario. Now I'm not dogmatic about what I'm about to say. I believe the Lord could come real quick, take the church out of here. But just realistically think of the implications of such, such an event. Dave Hunt said it would be the most incredible thing since the flood. Because all of a sudden, there's millions of people that are no longer here. What do you think that's going to do to society? What do you think that's going to do to the world economy? It's going to create a vacuum. And a guy who's setting himself up as a savior of, uh, of Europe and so on and so forth, the perfect vacuum. And I believe it's, it's the first thing that we read in Revelation 6.1 is I believe that's a very possible scenario. Another possible scenario is that the latest terrorist attacks, you guys know, know what's going on in the Gaza Strip. Uh, Bibi just turned the IDF loose. He says, they want war, they got it. And so highly escalating in the Gaza Strip right now. Part of the terrorists are not just coming from Lebanon, that would be Hamas. They're coming from Damascus, which is ISIS. Damascus? Is there anything in the Bible about Damascus? Oh yeah, Isaiah 17 says it's gonna be destroyed in one day. That could trigger this event for uh, somebody to come in to make, we gotta have peace with Israel, somebody's gotta do it. I wonder who it could be. And so they believe that only really their Messiah can, can rebuild the temple and have, have a peace treaty. So another possible scenario is the Ezekiel 38 war. When that war is over, Germany is a part of that war, by the way. But do you know that just in the last couple of years, there are six million Muslims that live in Germany? Isn't that an interesting number for Germany? Sort of, I call it reaping what you sow. They killed six million Jews during the Holocaust. Now they have six million Muslims. Which side do you think they're going to be on when Russia comes against Israel? And we see this Muslim coalition. I believe it's very, very possible after the Ezekiel 38 war, the Muslim um, wars, they're done and over with. And for the first time, every, everybody's tried to have a peace treaty with Israel for how many years now? Never happened. But now, if, if the Muslims have been taken out because of the Ezekiel 38 war, we have every opportunity to go in and sign this peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 2, and let's look at Paul's account of this. 2 Thessalonians 2, 
Oh, they were wondering about the day of the Lord in chapter 1 Thessalonians, and they were confused. What happens to our loved ones when they die? So in chapter 2 Thessalonians, Paul has to write another epistle and pick it up in verse 3. He just... He wants to make clear one thing about the tribulation. What has to happen before the tribulation can come? Well, verse three says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day? Um, Will not come unless that falling away comes first. Well, the great tribulation. And then it says, and the man of sin is revealed. Well, Revelation six, verse one is the very first part of the seven-year tribulation. And he's the writer in the first, that's chapter six, verse one. So basically, Paul is saying, look, the tribulation isn't gonna happen. You're gonna have to see a peace treaty signed with Israel. And then you better start looking. It's almost like saying, okay, Israel, be looking for um, a man who's been doing a lot of miracles riding a donkey down the Mount of Olives. In other words, be looking for certain signs. Paul's saying here the certain signs is the tribulation cannot come unless there's a falling away first. Honest question. Is there a falling away in a church today? Answer, absolutely. From time to time I hear people saying, there's going to be a great last day revival. And the Bible teaches just the opposite. Jesus says, when I come back again, will I find faith on the earth? Now, there is a church of Philadelphia, Okay. And I hope that's us. He says, you have little strength, but you've kept my word. And I'm going to keep you from that hour that's going to come upon the whole earth, to try the whole earth. Well, what does that mean? That means the Church of Philadelphia doesn't go through the tribulation. Why? Because they've kept the word of God. And there are churches today that are still keeping the word of God. And it's not just Calvary chapels. There are other good churches out there. Good place for an amen. There are. We're, we should never think that. But realistically, the Bible talks about a fall, apostasy, a falling away. And then the man of sin, the son of perdition, who exalts himself, verse 4, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. When does this happen? Right in the middle of the seven-year period of time. And Paul clearly is laying that out, that the Antichrist brings an end to the daily sacrifice, and he sits down. What has Satan always wanted? What was the reason for the fall? Where did pride enter in? I want to be like the Most High. I want to be worshipped. And the Bible says in Daniel that he's going to give him his time for three and a half years. He's going to give him everything he wants. And this planet is going to be, belong to none other than a demon-possessed man we call the Antichrist. Let's go. Paul said it here that he goes into the temple. Let's go to Revelation 13. Are you guys beginning to understand why I couldn't go to Ezekiel 38 now? <laughs> Revelation 13 is the middle of the Great Tribulation period. Picking it up, oh, let's pick it up in verse... Well... Again, this is going back to Daniel. Let's go back to verse one. I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast riding out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and on his horns ten crowns and on his head blasphemous names. 
Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard and the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and throne and great authority. These are the same beasts mentioned in Daniel 7 but in a reverse order. Question, why is it in reverse order? Answer, I don't know. It just is. And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Assassination attack on the Antichrist. And he comes back and it was healed. And so they worshiped the dragon. The dragon is the devil who gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? He's like a savior who can walk on water. He can do anything. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Uh, uh, For 42 months is another way of saying time, times and a half of times or three and a half years. And he opened his mouth to blaspheme God his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell there. And he was granted to make war with the saints and overcome them. That's what Daniel said. Daniel 7, verse 21. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. He finally gets what he's always wanted. Jesus, if you'll get down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus didn't say, "Ah, uh-uh, they belong to me he realized he had, that was a legitimate temptation. They all belong to him. And uh, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life. And then we read the, what is the abomination of desolation um, with the false prophet. The false prophet here, verse 14, the false prophet deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived, and it was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Isn't it interesting that just within the last year we have Artificial intelligence. Ever, I, I watched the guy on TV doing the weather report. Looks just like a guy, except it's a machine. And uh, he has power to speak. Not saying that this is the case here, but the technology exists for such things. And he caused all, both small and great, poor and free, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And no one could buy or sell except those who had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number, of course, if nobody knows anything about Revelation, they know about 666. So, what is the fate of this person? Turn to chapter 19. And remember, let's go all the way back to our text in Daniel. Daniel saw the image. But then he saw this stone come out of nowhere and smite the image that we had up earlier. It crumbles, it's blown away, and the stone becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. 
Now the fate of the Antichrist is in Revelation 19. This is the second coming. This is the stone of Daniel 2. It's coming out of nowhere, back to planet Earth. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage? And they plot this vain thing. They're going to fight against God. He who is in heaven will laugh, hold them in derision. Just think about it. Fighting against the creator of all things. Well, that's not going to last too long. And it doesn't. So we have the Lord coming in power and great glory, not humbly on a donkey this time, but as king of kings and lord of lords. And he gathers them together. He gathers his birds together that are already, the nations are gathered in the valley of Armageddon. Verse 19, and I saw the beast, this will be the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the white horse and against his army. The beast was captured. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in the presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. That's the Antichrist's fate. Notice Satan isn't mentioned. Satan is bound for the next thousand years, but that's a whole other Bible study within itself, and I have to begin to wind this up. So let's go back to Daniel chapter seven as we try to piece this all together this morning. This is Daniel's perspective of what we just read. Daniel seven, verse 11. Boy, it's so good not to read. Uh, well, let's read nine because it's so good. Daniel said, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame and his fields a burning fire and a fire stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. We're talking about the judgments. Verse 11, I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain. That's what we just read, Revelation 19. And his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, came to the ancients of days, and he brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Jesus' dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not be taken away, and his kingdom the one which will never be destroyed. Babylon, Persian, Grecian, Roman, revived Roman, are all in non-existence. Everything I just mentioned this morning, it's undisputable has happened. It's undisputable. Why do you say that, Dwight? Because it's all history. Don't read your Bible. Go get a good history book and see if these nations didn't come and go exactly like Daniel said. Only Daniel talked about it before they would ever happen. 
They have come and gone in contrast. I don't want you to leave this morning thinking, well, that was an interesting Bible study, and it gives you a lot of head knowledge that's there. No, I want to leave this morning with Daniel 2, verses 40 to 45, and the contrast between the worldly empires that are clearly laid out, but what we we should really be praying for and looking for is the fact is this world isn't my home. Good place for an amen. My Bible says we're pilgrims and strangers. We're just passing on through. And if you've got your roots too deep in this world, know that things are unfolding. And everything you think is permanent and gonna last forever, ask Nebuchadnezzar, ask Cyrus, ask Alexander the Great, ask any world leader that has ever ruled. They can rule for a season in time and then it's all history. In contrast, we have a God who is eternal, who has allowed this world to have its way. But in the end, Daniel 2, verse 40, tells us, um, well, let's go to 44. In the days of these kings, what kings? The 10 kings talked about in the book of Revelation. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And a kingdom shall not be left to other people, like the other ones. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it will stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, silver, and gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. And now I want to emphasize these last words. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. And we have a kingdom that's coming that the Lord says, if you'll just be faithful, love one another right now. Don't major on the minors, major on the majors. And make sure that you don't look at this home here as your home. The good news is we were told to pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. I hope you're kind of homesick in your heart this morning after a study like this and you're thinking everything that was in our study this morning is undisputed facts of history, of what has been. But then how much reassurance does this give us, the church, that our home is in heaven? Behold, I go away. If I go away, I'm gonna make a place for you. And then I'm gonna come again and I'm gonna bring you unto myself. You know that the Lord has a place just for you? That should make you happy. (laughs) That should make you know that um, your home is not here, and that when the Lord says, I got plans of my own. Men have plans, but he's got plans of his own. He's gonna set up his throne. And my Bible says it's gonna last forever and ever and ever. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to take a little break from the Gospel of Mark as we see certain trends transpiring in the world. Lord, we don't know for sure who the man of sin is. We know there's been shadows of him, like Antioch Epiphanes, and Emmanuel Macron could be, maybe he is, maybe he's not. 
But Lord, the stage is certainly set that we should be looking up and we should be touching this world ever so lightly. Help us have the attitude, Lord, of pilgrims that are just passing through and in the meantime, be as much of a light of your love and your grace as we can be to a needy world. In Jesus' name, amen.